it's definitely having an attitude that I want to regret to regret the things I did try, not the regret not to regret the things I didn't try. You know, so it's an old adage. Don't don't end up looking back in your life and regretting the things that you didn't do. Um, feel the fear and do it anyway. Hey there, I'm Jeffrey and welcome to The Untrodden Path, a podcast where we meander through the twists and turns of life in each episode, one crossroad at a time. All right. Hello, Sonia. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. So the sun is shining and spring has sprung, so I'm feeling very positive. And you're based in France at the moment, am I right? Yes, I moved here two and a half years ago. It's a long-held dream. Um, We live in between Bordeaux and Toulouse in a really rural area. It's positively stunning. Um, So for our listeners out there, um, Sonia and I, we had a very interesting meeting. So we used to work in Allianz together in Munich, but I never worked for Sonia at all. So it was very interesting because um, Sonia was uh, office roommates, essentially, with my big boss. Um, And I worked in the office uh, beside her office. And at times we would engage in, you know, a lot of a bit of small talk. And I think that was really the beginning of our of our relationship, of our friendship. Right, Sonia? Yeah. And, and, you know, in the catch up that we've had in the previous weeks, I think it became clearer to me and definitely to you about the impression that you'd created on me, even though it was unprompted small talk every now and then in the corridor but (laughs) you probably didn't realize when you were in the room catching up with your big boss who isn't so big like me we both (laughs) 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 you know actually you can't help but listen in so I formed this impression of you and that impression led me to want to seek out your company and to seek out your views on certain topics because I'd learned to trust your judgment Oh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I was working for the Global Diversity and Inclusion team in Allianz back then. And Sonia, could you share with our listeners what you were doing then? Oh, at that point in time, because I've had 11 years with Allianz, um, Sydney and Munich. So at that point in time, it was probably when I was heading up the learning and leadership development team. Um, so that was effectively the Global Leadership Academy for um, our aspiring executives was one example of what I was doing. Um, but I'm a systems thinker, which means that I was involved in quite a broad range of things across um, the HR sphere, really. So talent management, employer branding. Um, yeah, nice, nice broad range of strategic HR topics, which was a really fun period of time I would say because the business was going through major change and the business had to ask HR for more support and so it started to feel more mature and um, more that we were in it together more as a partnership and we were working at um, senior levels not the senior matters it's not about the seniority it's about the opportunity to have an impact and I think you know that was some of the most fulfilling years at that time. 
Wonderful. And you know, now catch up, you you had also shared with me what you did before and what you did um, yeah, after Allianz. So if I recall correctly, you know, you've had this very, very interesting career. And am I right in understanding that you started your career in the financial sector in the Netherlands? Almost. <laughs> um, so I started what I'd probably my career in actually in Scotland um, in the finance sector and I so I got my degree in Edinburgh from Harriet Watt University my first degree which was in business just plain old standard broad business <laughs> um, because as we'll probably talk about later my first career which was um, a passion I have for working with autistic people um, the NHS mm-hmm, a couple of funding, mm-hmm. so I thought I'll go and do the most bland thing you can possibly do until I figure out what I want to do with my life. And a business degree is probably a door opener to a whole stack of things. It buys me time to think. Um, I found myself avoiding HR as a topic, and I took everything that I considered to be hard, um, you know, as intangible finance, statistics, economics, because I hadn't studied any of those things at school and it seemed to be more of the fast track. Um, fast track to an ambitious young lady because growing up in the mm-hmm. 70s, you were encouraged as a woman to think big, um, which is an interesting part of the story in terms of where I end up at now. Um, so I heard that calling and I pushed for it. And I saw HR as soft and not tangible and associated with female. And so I decided I would try something that was more associated with male. So that mm, was interesting. It was actually really interesting. It was because I was measuring the net present value of oil fields in the North Sea for the negotiators of British Petroleum. Wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my gosh. Wow. Further from what I'm doing now and where my career took me in the end. And if you're interested in why, actually, it was because BP asked me when I was doing that job to help them understand my seven years at Marks and Spencer. Um, So I funded my way through university. And they said to me one day, out of the blue, you know what, Sonia, Marks and Spencer is at the top of their game culture wise in retail. If we wanted to be the same as Marks and Spencer for the oil industry from a cultural perspective, how would how would we go about doing that? And they, they are somebody who'd spent years avoiding all HR topics. But what triggered me was, wow, what? how do you measure culture? How on earth would you know if you were successful at culture? That was it. My love of measuring the soft side with the hard side was born. And I started to move my career more down the track of how do you measure culture? How do you measure the intangibles on the balance sheet? Which became my second degree when I did a master's in HR. And that was my thesis topic. Interesting. I actually found a video of you on YouTube talking about oh, this God. and how to measure culture. Really? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You must, you must remember the video. I mean, I, 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 I can't remember when you did it, but uh, yeah, it's definitely there on YouTube. I know there was a um, a presentation that I gave to something like um, American Women in Munich or something like that. Um, because mm-hmm. my father told me he googled me and he found the he found this like buried deep into you know like page four or something um yeah so to be honest no I don't remember doing a YouTube video on measuring intangibles I'll have to look it up 
I'll put it in the link uh, for the podcast. Uh, so it'll make it easier for you. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I wonder which one it is. That's, that's interesting. Okay, thanks. So you went from Scotland to Netherlands, and then I remember, you know, you you did mention Australia, coming back to Germany, and then after that, you know, you were in Switzerland, and now you're in France. I mean, how much of this was planned? I mean, it sounded like a lot of transitions. Yeah, I, to be honest, looking back, I can imagine it might come across as, you know, spontaneous, but the reality is it's not. Um, when I met my husband at university um so we met young and I'm really pleased that we did because I recognized a kindred spirit I recognized it was like holding a mirror up to myself and realizing things about myself actually because um I didn't have a checklist of what I wanted in a partner but it turned out that Mm -hmm. ticked a lot of the boxes when he was open to moving around the world he didn't have any fixed plans he was flexible adaptable happy to make it up as we went along but One thing I would say about all the transitions I've made is that there was always a kernel of an idea starting to brew. And I've started to recognize the pattern in me and the pattern in us, as in the combination between us, that um, an idea would start to brew. One of us would mention it to the other one, and then it would grow and grow and grow until, it's like watering, in fact, like watering a seed. And um, mm-hmm. we knew once we started to nurture that idea that at some point in time it was going to happen because if you put it out there it will happen and we knew we would travel we just didn't know when where um, how long we would stay and we've learned that it takes about three years for you to find yourself um, to recover financially um, you shouldn't make a decision before year three years in my view um, as a personal choice Um, It's tough. It can be really tough the first year or two, but by year three, things settle. And that's when you should make a decision if you like it or not, if you're going to assimilate or not. Um, So when we were in Amsterdam, that's because he was living in Belgium and it was the Ah, not speaking good enough French to work. And a Dutch company (laughs) hired me and said, you can speak English here. And then it's just a, you know, hour and a half, two hour drive. So I would go and spend weekends, started to like Amsterdam. He moved to Amsterdam. Uh, And the reality is we overstayed our welcome after five years. And so, yeah, um, about year four, we decided we wanted to do a big move. And because for any audience members that have co-careers, we decided that it would be like a relay race, um, that whoever had the baton, in the first move, the next person would have the baton in the, the next one. So um, the move to Amsterdam was because of me. So I said to my husband, right, you choose where we go, but my preference is Asia because uh, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to work in the Middle East or Africa. Um, right. And so he came back one day and he said, I've been giving it some thought. And I was thinking, great, is it Tokyo? Is it Hong Kong? <laughs> Singapore. Uh, exactly. And there you go. Why wouldn't you go anywhere else, Jeff? <laughs> Bangkok maybe, you know, and that, that really excited me, the unknown and the fact that I would have to land somewhere and just find my way because I realized going way back um, when I was 16, my parents plucked m- myself and my sister out of London where we were born and said we would like to move as a family somewhere else to give you um, new perspectives. And so right. we were involved 
in making that choice and we chose Scotland, but I learned at a very impressionable age of 16 that you can just pick your life up, pack it up in a box, move somewhere else and it'll be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then that pattern for me was born. That was the impact it had on me. That was a trigger on me. It wouldn't happen to everybody, but somehow in me, that's what it triggered. And so I knew it's going to be all right. There might be tough times, but I've learned the skills to make it work. And so he came home one day and he said, I've decided where we're going. Great. Where? Australia. And my heart sank. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen. On the other side of the world. Yeah, and to me, it was English speaking. That's the irony, you know? Mm. And so I didn't think it had a, enough cultural diversity to keep me interested. To me, it just felt like Europe, but further away. Um, but I admitted I was ignorant. And I said, okay, let's have a look at the makeup of Australia and see what can trigger my interest. And because my husband's a linguist, um, so he's fluent in French, German, Spanish, English speaks a bit of Italian, had learned Dutch. He said, wow. yeah, I'm tired of learning new languages and I really would like to work somewhere that's English speaking. And I had no clue that's how he was feeling until he came home and said Australia. So I said, right, then we jump on a plane and we figure it out. Wow. 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 Uh, you know, I'm saying wow because, you know, I've done a fair share of moving and a lot happened in the past five years. You know, I caught up with an ex-classmate on 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 Saturday, uh, so a few days ago, and we haven't seen each other since we left high school. So we were catching up, and you know, he says to me, "Are uh, you gonna Are you gonna stay in Bangkok, where where I'm currently located, for a while?" And I said, "I hope so, because you know we've done so much moving, mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because." Um, you know, bits and pieces of what you mentioned actually do resonate with me. So my husband always said to me, uh, you know, when when I started working, he said, you know, you know, let's let's do this. Um, I'll take the first move and then you take the second move. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's going to take a while before it happens to me. But it happened much quicker uh, than expected because um, he moved to India first. Uh, we, were, we were both living in Munich, right? Um, he moved to India first. And I said, yeah, you know, I mean, I was in Munich for eight years already. And I'm like, now's the time to move because if I don't move now, mm-hmm. I probably will not want to move mm-hmm. ever. Um, and that's why I'm seeing with uh, with a couple of friends, right? I mean, Munich's a fantastic place to live in. Uh, but I said I wanted to see something else. We moved to India. We were there for two to three years. And then I got offered something in Sweden. And I'm like, yeah, great. And, and you know, I mean, he, he said, yeah, sure, why not? Sweden was a very, very short stint. And then we decided, okay, you know what, uh, Bangkok now. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting how you made decisions as well. Yeah, and um, I have seen in my corporate career how tough it can be if you've got dual careers, you know, or even if the even if one partner isn't career minded, you know, um, maybe they're a stay at home parent or something. It's still tough to try and get both both people's needs met with every move. And so I don't make want to make it seem easier than it might have been for others that are maybe listening to the podcast today. But I do think it highlights the importance of a partner who has a similar a similar approach or is willing to try, for instance. So um, the opposites attract, et cetera, et cetera. And there are many things that my husband and I are very different at. But this was one thing that we definitely shared, which was an openness to that change. But, you know, classic communication. You know, I might want to stay another year. He might want to go 
sort of trying to fathom it out when you were in the middle of it as well and learning these mm. patterns which we've then kind of perfected for us with each move um is that we've learned to fine tune when one or the other is starting to get a bit restless or is is ready to try something new and different trigger points happened at different life stages for us to determine when we would shift again and we might you know Australia was meant to be raising a family so we were planning on staying there for quite a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, we were nesting and we decided that that would be a good place to raise a family good health care it was English speaking which would be easy for us to raise kids there I think we would always have moved back to Europe if we'd had kids and they'd been approaching school age we probably would have wanted to have that versatility and experience which a lot of our friends have done Um, but no hard and fast rules happy to just suck it and see at the time but we always kept in tune when it was starting to get to the point where we'd say I think a change is as good as a rest you know it's probably time for us to think about something different now what does that different look like and once again that's that kernel of an idea starts to brew and then you nurture it and then it just happens it's I I think it would be very unsurprising that a lot of people go through the same thing, but they don't actually talk about it. Or one person ends up making the decision yeah. in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, and there might be somebody who's potentially sort of a little bit more dominant um, in one way or another, behavior or thinking style. Whereas for us, we set out with our uh, marriage. We've been together twenty seven years, and we set out to say equality at all times um so that means you have to speak your mind because the other person's a mind reader so they have to to know and of course that's really important to me because i'm i'm really independent um in every way you can imagine um but definitely independent minded and so i needed somebody that was able to listen and hear and um to some extent discuss and negotiate so that i knew how i could meet their needs as well as meeting my own um, and mm. I found that in my husband. So in my instance, the partner has been really um, an enabler, um, someone that you can go on the journey with. So you're not on your own, even though, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have done some of these things um, if I was single. It's made it so much more interesting and possible, if I'm honest, to do it together. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. So you had these, uh, you know, the wealth of experience in 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 the corporate world, and then uh, you decided that you leave the corporate world and you'd set up your own company. So, could you tell our listeners what you're doing at the moment? Yes. So uh, two and a half years ago, I made the move. I wouldn't say I decided to move because I decided a year before I actually made it. So. Let's put it this way. Three and a half years ago, I decided to make move out of corporate life. Um, And two and a half years ago, I succeeded. So that tells you I spent a year putting things in place so that I'd have what I would Mm -hmm. call off landing. Um, So I put some safety nets in place, like having three contracts already signed before I left my corporate job um, so that I knew that I would hit the ground running. Um, So we decided to bring forward our... 10-year dream earlier so we talked wow this idea had been brewing for quite a while and we said yeah well you know what in 10 years time then we will move to France and I will live my dream of setting up a holiday home for autistic children 
Reason being, wow. <laughs> yeah, the most rewarding thing I think I have ever done is to volunteer my spare time twice a week with a little autistic boy. Um, he was four when I first met him, when he was first diagnosed with autism. And I spent 18 months with him and his parents doing an intensive um, program, which was to help him to communicate because he was nonverbal and to, um, I'd say, experiment with his diet and see if it made any difference because there's a nutritional element. And my God, did we learn a lot. We learned so much. He taught us so much during those 18 months. And mm-hmm. I, I found it more rewarding than anything I've ever achieved in a corporate career, even though I've loved my corporate career. Seriously, I don't want to diminish you know, the things that I've done there and the experiences I've had, but it just couldn't compare to spending time with um, this little boy. And I'd done some other volunteering in my time in previous lives. And I, I just knew that original calling of wanting to spend time in a caring profession with kids, despite the fact I denied it because I was a 70s woman. Um, I decided that I could give myself that gift. And so we started talking about it. We narrowed in on France. We narrowed in on which area of France. We narrowed in on how would we make that work because that's pro bono work effectively. How would we fund mm-hmm. it? And we decided that I would set up my own consulting business and let that work effectively fund me having more free time so that I could spend it on working with new diversity in its broadest form, actually, with adults and kids. It's turned into um, that wasn't the original intent, but. Um, it's just morphed into that and I'm going with it because it's it's I'm just fascinated I'm learning I'm making really fantastic connections and friends and it's just opened up a whole new world that I'm excited about so almost I keep a foot in both camps I can do what I I have traditionally been good at um, and that pays the bills in a very fulfilling way but I also free up two to three days of my time a week to work on these other passions. It sounds like a dream. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm tempted to to not agree <laughs> because it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was a dream. Um and so far I'm living the dream. I suppose I don't want to I don't want to tempt fate because um I mean we've managed to make it work even during a pandemic, which if you'd asked me before, right. yes, of course. Of yeah. course, yeah. I would have thought that would kill the dream and that we'd have to go back to uh some kind of repeatable work, but um it's worked, it's worked during the pandemic and if anything, it's accelerated during the pandemic, which is fantastic. And I recently discovered there aren't too many other um enterprises like mine um which is surprising i thought that i would find loads but there's one in wales um that i'm in contact with but i just discovered another holiday location for autistic children and adults about two and a half hours from where i am in france at the moment it's one of the few in france so i'm i'm definitely open to learning from others doing the same thing as what i'm doing but it is it is quite unique. So I'm I don't know why I'm tempted to say no to when you say it's like a dream <laughs> because I'm enjoying it and it's it's not hard work, I would say. There's effort that goes in, but um yeah, so maybe you are living the dream. <laughs> I mean it sounds like a brilliant idea. I, I, I don't know if this was the idea you had when you were planning during your one year of planning, but it sounds um it sounds wonderful, you know. Um, you're giving back 
to society. Uh, you have time for yourself. I'm assuming you have time for yourself, of course. Um, you know, the very, very, yeah, idyllic um, picture which you which you painted. So if I could ask you a question, you know, in that one year when you said, okay, the beginning of that first year when you said you 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 would like to leave corporate life, you know, how did you plan to leave? 12 months later? Uh, I'll give the really honest account, which was that um, I had moved from Allianz in Munich, which was, as I said, a very fulfilling role, but I got headhunted. So I got a phone call from somebody um, to do a different role. And for me, I suppose I wanted to have one last foray in corporate life before I pursued what I'm now doing. But I always had this brewing in my mind. But it didn't feel right at that moment in time because we were loving Munich. And, you know, to me, Allianz felt like a, a big family. I had a lot of people I, I immensely respected. Um, so I wasn't ready to leave corporate life at that stage. It would have felt too soon. Then when we made the next move, um, it's funny, I felt like we broke away from everything that was holding me in corporate life by making that shift. And I put a lot mm -hmm. of eggs in one basket. And I realized within a very short period of time that what had been sold to me effectively probably wasn't going to be the reality because things changed as they often do in corporate business. The person who hired me was actually um, moved on about two weeks before I physically moved. Oh, to another right, country. Okay. And that makes all the difference. I mean, I, yes, I'm, yeah, absolutely. Your, your boss makes all the difference to you, especially when you're new in a role. So there was a lot of unknowns and I decided to give it two to three months. And I realized within those two to three months, nope, I, I can clearly see this isn't going to be the deal that I thought it was going to be. You know, the titles are the same, the salary is the same, but that's not why I came. I didn't come for those things. I came for something else. And mm -hmm. it, strategy is shifting and it's not one that I believe so much in. So I did the honorable thing and I let my new employer know, I know now I will not be here in 12 months time. So I'm telling you up front so that we can do a deal. You tell me what good performance looks like within 12 months and I will deliver on that performance for you. No hard feelings, but equally, this is what I need from you during this period of time because I'm senior enough to ask for it. And I'm doing the fair and honorable way of going about this. And I'm going to spend the next 12 months building this dream, trying to make this happen because, you know what, I know what I want to do and I don't know why I'm delaying it anymore. And so we had this really open conversation between myself and my my then employer. Um, and I really respected the chief HR officer at that time who was open to the discussion. And we made it happen. So um, my husband then spent the next year um, doing the fun bit, I would say. Uh, so he's a fluent mm -hmm. speaker. So he just came flying to France, you know, um, say once every six to eight weeks, having done all the um, property hunting because to set up a holiday home for autistic kids, we needed to have a property of a certain size and a certain configuration. Right, um, right. Yeah. And so he set about finding the property in the right location, which was close enough to airports, but rural enough for us to feel like we were um, in semi-retirement effectively. Yeah, mm. so he did that part and I I set the business up. Um, so I got the paperwork, the legalities, um, spoke to my network, um, figured out who I thought would be interested to 
to use me as a consultant. And so it took us 12 months to arrange it. But I'd say that went like a dream. That bit went really quite smoothly because I think we had a really clear picture about what we wanted. We'd really narrowed it down. We were really quite specific what success would look like. Is that the key? Because, you know, I'm listening to your story and I find it so inspiring. And I I mean, I can't talk on behalf of our listeners, but sometimes I have an idea and, you know, similar to you, I like to give back to society and I have some ideas, which then I allow to brew in my mind. But then sometimes I have the, I face the difficulty of not bringing that idea to fruition. So, I mean, it sounded like, you had everything planned out. So may I ask if you had any difficulties with <laughs> executing this plan? Because it sounded like you did not have any. <laughs> uh, I mean, there were the usual hurdles, um, but I think I'm. it's part of my character to diminish the hurdles um, in my mind. Do you know what I mean? So I'm able to pocket them, put them in perspective and move on quickly. Um, so an example would be, you know, we didn't get the first house that we thought was our dream house. And you hear this story so many times that, you know, you've got your heart set on something. You really think this is the one and you emotionally invest in it and then you don't get it. Um, but then the next one that comes along turns out to be even better anyway. You know, you must have heard that story so many times. Yes, yes, Actually, yes. You're lucky you didn't get that one that you thought was the one because the next <laughs> one is even better. And, you know, that happens. <laughs> yeah. So we had we had some stumbles along the way. Um, like I said, my well, the pandemic's put paid to me actually having my first families here who were due to come in May. So, you know, I haven't actually achieved my my ambition yet. So I've got the property, I've got all the connections I need, is very likely to occur once um <laughs> curfews are lifted and lockdowns are lifted and we can fly again and um vaccines are given. So I suppose mm-hmm. I have faith. That, that it's actually going to work out. The business is set up and that bit was relatively, and I use the word relatively easy because I had, a, you know, I had all the building blocks in place, I had a great network. Um, I didn't jump, I didn't give up my permanent role until I had signed contracts. So I made it look easy in hindsight. That bit's been the easiest bit. Um, I'll give you some other hurdles that I'm facing, um, but I'll overcome them, I suppose, is... Do I set up a charitable foundation in the UK or France, especially with the complexities of Brexit? So right, it will right. be English speaking families that will come to a property in France, which is what makes it a holiday. Um, what are the legalities around that? What insurances am I meant to have? You're meant to get a police certificate to say you can work with kids, but being a Brit abroad makes it very difficult. And there isn't really an easy path to have an international police certificate. It's all very national, national based. So there's a stack load of hurdles I'm having to overcome, but um, I suppose I'm in the pattern of lists. <laughs> and it was actually Terry mm-hmm. Powell, who is the CEO of Alliance Australia, when someone asked him for his tip for how to be successful. And he said lists. And I remember being really disappointed. <laughs> thinking, Christ, is that it? <laughs> but, right. I'm feeling like that. Like, really? Is that all? I mean, I like lists. They don't seem to help that much for me. 
But imagine a world where you didn't. Imagine a world where you weren't in the habit of having lists. And there's so much that comes from having lists. It sounds so simple that it can't possibly be that powerful. But there's a lot of power and simplicity. If you have a list, it means you're celebrating micro moments. It means you're celebrating micro achievements. And it means that you're giving yourself a pat on the back several times a day when you go tick, 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 tick. And it's also very akin to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is when people get overwhelmed (laughs) by a whole stack of things. What does the psychologist recommend they do? Break it down into bite-sized chunks, you know? Absolutely. So lists meet all of that criteria. So I've got my (laughs) lists and I'm like, right, is it France or is it England? And by a process of elimination, it becomes clear what decision I need to make. Yeah, so I'm just plowing through all of those lists to make it work. Um, Right. Yeah. So, you know, as someone, you know, who has done so many things and and has now, you know, set up your own company, and and thank you so much for sharing this this wonderful idea. I'm quite sure that a lot of our listeners will feel very, very inspired. You have had to cross uh, or make decisions, or you've stood at the crossroad many, many, many times. So what are some of the few things that you always keep in mind when you had to make a decision um yeah there's there's so many things that that are floating around in my mind when you ask that question because you know as with a lot of things in life it's not the one single thing it's the multiple small things that combine to create successful failure and um I remember when we moved to Scotland my father pointed out um that there was a family on the same um estate as us and that they, he and this other man had done exactly the same things and yet it had really worked out for our family and it had really not worked out for this other family. Um, they ended up getting divorced. The One kid moved back to England. The other one stayed in Scotland. Like the whole family split up. And he said, you know, when I look at what happened to them and what happened to us, I can't think of anything they did wrong, if that makes sense, you know. So, yes, there's mm-hmm. things that are in your control that you can do, but there's always an element of fate in my belief. I don't think that successful failure mm. is 100% down to only the individual. I think you also have a healthy dose of luck. You know, so I haven't had a major illness in in my life that's prevented me achieving the things I want to, as an example, um, which is nothing about an individual's doing. It just happens. But if I look at what, what is in my control um, that's maybe helped me to achieve all of these transitions and, and to, live, to live my dreams as I've gone around the world... Um, it's definitely having an attitude that I want to regret to regret the things I did try, not the regret not to regret the things I didn't try. You know, so it's an old adage. Don't don't end up looking back in your life and regretting the things that you didn't do. Um, feel the fear right. and do it anyway would be one. Um, so I definitely don't want to play to a fear of not doing something. And I learned this in corporate life that. Um, I, I've spotted more and more and more as I kind of mature and get older and gain more experience that there's what's known as a no-do gap, which is just knowing mm-hmm. something isn't the same as actually doing it. And there's a lot of theory that I won't bore the readers with that go into this about how adults learn, but there's a cycle of learning that adults go through. And the most important step in that learning process is being motivated enough to shift when you realize that there's maybe something you need to change that's that's the important part so it's like an alcoholic you know it's the first step is saying I'm an alcoholic and then you can start to do something about it so the knowing leads to the doing 
there's no point staying in just knowing something. So I'll give you an example. In corporate life, um, I have ended up doing a lot of coaching. And a lot of people will say to me, yeah, I know that. And I'll say, great. So if you know it, why are you not doing it then? You know, talk me through. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I do tend to be a little bit blunt, but you know what? Well, let's just tell it like it is. And it's a product. Oh, I, lo- I love it. Me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I'm glad you know it. So talk me through what happens when you do it. And this is often when people then get stuck and they say, well, you know, I'm not saying I'm doing it or I'm not doing it regularly or I haven't tried it yet. And then I'll, you know, gently coach through or tell me what's holding you back from actually doing it because knowing it is not enough. If you truly want to achieve whatever this thing is that you set out to achieve, we've discussed your goal and you know a few things that are enablers to help you get along the way, but you're not doing them. Why are you not doing them? Let's work through the why. What's the fear? What's the hurdles? What's the blockers, the barriers? Of course, oftentimes they're self-imposed. Oftentimes they're psychological, mental, emotional. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So for me, it goes back to that. There's a kernel. You know, there's an idea brewing in in my mind or my husband's mind. That's the knowing part. <laughs> the tough bit comes then to go ahead and do it. That's where the lists come in. Right. We know this goal that we have. We know all the steps that are likely to create success. What's preventing us from actually doing it? Let's work that through. And then oftentimes when you work through what's holding me back, you'll realize that there's a perceived mountain to climb that when you break it down into smaller chunks, it's not such a mountain after all. You are building it up in your mind much bigger than it is in practice. I mean, you must have had that experience, Jeff. Have you? Is that something that resonates with you where you know many many yeah. many times yeah yeah i mean a, a lot of times you know i want to do something and i think it's a great idea and i you know i, I plan this wonderful story like you know i'm going to do something and and launch it on this day and you know i can craft this wonderful story and it's going to be great and then it just becomes an idea and then as time goes by it just becomes it remains an idea and then you just sort of get sucked into why you know you don't have time to you maybe you're not good enough or maybe the response is not going to be good and it's funny because um i was actually coaching a client who had the exact who you know, same um challenge you know she she wanted to do something uh, she wanted to do something for herself but she said to me um jeff i'd rather leave it as an idea so that you know if i actually do end up doing it then i'd have to deal with my own failure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think yeah. a lot of us a lot of us um face that same challenge but you know it's so inspiring to hear you actually narrate um you know how you go about that and just be so vulnerable i think that that's also so beautiful um the, the one thing that's also so beautiful and i appre- that i appreciate in this conversation with you today Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate that. And I'd, I'd probably um, end on a note by saying that I do understand a fear of failure. I genuinely do. However, if you don't allow yourself to fail, then you don't allow yourself to learn and grow. You know, so you're holding absolutely, yourself absolutely. back if you don't fail. So try, try and push through that fear of failure and give yourself some credit, build some self-belief um, that, you, know, you can give yourself permission to be happy. You can give yourself permission to be confident um, by pushing through those fear barriers and learning 
learning what happens when you do it. And I've seen so many people push through the fear barrier and they've realized that their anticipation of failing is a hell of a lot worse than actually failing. Yeah. So look for evidence, look for evidence. Yes. In your yes. Environment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be feel, wow. the, feel, the, feel the fear and do it anyway, but, you know, also take some calculated risks. So it's not risks per se. It's about having some safety nets in place so that when you take the risk, you've, you've thought it through a little bit and you've, you've got a few safety nets to give you confidence. So then really what's holding you back if it's, you know, if you've removed all the possible hurdles, really get on with it and just be aware of the no-do gap. Oh, absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing it. I think that's definitely, uh, it's definitely something I'm going, I'm going to read up on. And I think it's such a, we've had so many wonderful golden nuggets in this conversation. And that's definitely one of them. So I think even when I coach my clients or even when I'm coaching myself, that's something I really will try and remember. Bitter shun. And I look forward to seeing this <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, Sonia. This has been a truly inspiring session. I think it's also so great that, you know, you shared your experiences, also broke it down into bite-sized pieces for all of us to, to think about, to be able to think about. So that's something I really, really appreciate. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for the invitation. I look forward to seeing where you go next as well, how, you, how your life uh, goes through new transitions. <laughs> I will keep you informed.